Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn, and joining me, our co-host, Mel McIsaac. Hello, Mc- hello. McIsaac. Mc- so the other day I was saying McIsaacson to somebody. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Mel McIsaacson. And I was like, wait, that's not, that's not right. Every time, and Christy has corrected me over and over and over, every time I keep wanting to say that your last name is McIsaacson. Well, because that, it just feels Well, that, I'm be honest, that does not roll off the tongue. <laughs> that just makes it like 10 times, it takes a hard last name and makes it even harder. <laughs> but I went from my maiden name being Daly to McIsaac, and I'm not even kidding. My dad will ship something or mail us a card or something, and I get a text like, hey, spell your last name. Like my own dad doesn't even Your know how to spell last name. And Walgreens, <laughs> uh, like if we have a prescription ready, they're like, Melissa Makasak, <laughs> your prescription is ready. And I'm like, that is not how at all. It's <laughs> Mac Isaac, two words. Yeah, that's the confusing part is because Mick names, it's like either MC, it's very rarely MAC, but you know, those are the two options. And you're MAC, so it's like Mac. It literally is Mac Isaac. I know. And I actually found out whenever Charlie and I were dating that it means son of Isaac. Oh. And so I was like, Yeah, you kind of have a hard last name. He was like, Yeah, but we have a family castle. And I think if I look back, that's probably what sealed the deal. Like Trump he, card. his family really does like generations back have a castle. Trump card. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how hard your last name is, if you got a castle. Let's go. <laughs> I know. It, it's it's to the point now where we, if we have double, if we have reservations to do a double date, I'm always putting it under the other couple's name. I'm like, just nine times out of 10, I'm sure your last name is going to be easier than ours. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, did, yeah. um, do you know what the origin of your last name is? I think it's German, but I could be wrong. German. I don't know. That would make yeah. sense because German's all that like... I know, right? and Charlie spoke German. I mean, it probably is, but at the same time, it's probably more of like a it. like an African tribal language. <laughs> the clicking sound. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. We were we were with some missionaries in Africa at this. I keep talking about this like three week long retreat. It was so perf- it was so life changing. But at that retreat, the ministry retreat we went to, and they were teaching us the like clicking language. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> that is so funny. I think I when we visited Wycliffe in Florida, the Bible translating uh, yeah. organization, they they taught us some of the clicking sounds too and like how they use that to trans- translate the Bible. How in the so world do you translate the Bible in clicking sounds? Like what does that look like on paper, you know? I mean, I think you have to have patience that transcends this world. <laughs> Here's what I want to know. I want to know what is the clicking sound for Jesus? Oh. That's what I want to know. If I someone know. could like, come on, write that in. Hello at <laughs> nothingiswasted.com. Or better yet, do a YouTube video. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, That's got to be Moving it. on. Moving on. All right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, go for I it. I have to tell you, um, my brother lives in Texas and I don't get to see him super often because, you know, they're, they're in the deep South. And so a few times a year we get to see him. And, um, a couple of weeks ago, we kind of had, um, a lot of family coming to town. So my brother came into town. We had some family from Wyoming come in and my dad, uh, a couple of days prior was like, Hey, you want to come with me and pick up your brother at like 1030 at night? And I'm like, Oh man, that is so late. You know? So I call him back the next day and I was like, dad, let's make a really funny sign to pick up Brent whenever he gets off the plane. <laughs> and so we get this sign professionally made. It's huge. And it says, Brent, with his face photoshopped sitting in a prison cell, welcome home from prison. <laughs> <laughs> so we That's go awesome. to the airport. It's like 1030 at night. And there's this guy standing next to me and he's got this little eight and a half by 11 and it says, welcome home, sweetheart. And so I go over and I, you know, I'm just being feisty. I'm like, come on, man, you got to step up your game. You can't bring that weak sauce stuff to the airport. Look at the commitment of my sign, you know? And so anyway, my brother gets off the plane and he sees it and him and his wife, they're so embarrassed. They're cracking up and it was really funny. That's amazing. I'm always... that. That's unbelievable. Like I've always wanted people, 
I've always wanted to like hold a sign up for somebody, you know, and just like what you just did embarrass the heck out of somebody. And I was not that, subtle but. about it. Like I was like, Brent, Brent, over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what the, would you... here's, the, here's the thing though, is I am going to go visit him in April and I'm flying in and I'm a little bit nervous that he's going to get oh, me yeah. back somehow. Oh, he's totally getting you back. Do you have any idea what his Enneagram number is? Uh, I think he's probably a three. Or if uh, if he's a three, he's totally getting you back because it's like it's on competition. Here we go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Here's a question: What sign would you make for your friend that just got off the plane from Africa who speaks in clicking language? <laughs> How would you see what I did there? I just took it right back. I just oh took goodness. it right back. I just you yeah, thought you diverted, blown. and I just took it right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have no idea. Oh, I have no idea. Man. Mel, you and Charlie, you have, you guys have a fascinating life. What's been going on in your life recently? Well, recently, some exciting news is he just got installed as lead pastor nice. at the Journey Metro East location. Love it. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so that's been really fun. How's that um, feel for you? I mean, that that's a major transition for your family, but it's also just like the reality of, okay, now I'm a not just a pastor's wife, but like the lead pastor's wife. Like yeah. there's another level of, I don't think people understand the weight that a lead pastor's wife, and, and maybe I'm freaking you out because you're like on the honeymoon period, but it's like the weight that you tend to feel, it's like, wait a minute, this is a whole different level of things. Has that set in for you or? It has a little bit. One thing that's really great is we have an amazing community. Just uh, the body of believers at our church, they are so gracious. They're mm. so authentic. They're I just feel like our church family, we hit the jackpot. They're so great. Um, unfortunately, I was just never born with a great filter. And so I feel this pressure <laughs> of like, guard your mouth and then guard, guard, guard. <laughs> Be very careful of everything that comes out of your mouth. And so anyway, I have some really sweet friends, some that live in the city, some that live um, in different states that I'm close with. So I feel like I have confidence and friends and um just women I can are sounding boards for me. But um, yeah, I'm just, we're really humbled. We're really excited. I feel like him being in this position now, it's just, it's honestly causing me to pray a lot yeah. more mm -hmm. and um, just this new level of dependence that I have not experienced. Yeah. Well, it certainly is. I mean, you know, the three ways I feel like that, that God in a ministry family's um, lives, the three ways that God sanctifies you or the three predominant ways that he uses a lot of different means to sanctify you or to grow you into becoming more like Christ. If you're listening and you don't know what that word sanctify or sanctification means, it's just a big, long churchy word for growing you in your walk with Christ, making you, mm -hmm. you know, become more like Jesus. But I, I think the first one is your marriage. It's like you put two selfish people, sinners together oh, yeah. and and you're you realize really quickly how selfish you are when you get married you know and how used to your own agenda you are the mm -hmm. second way is kids you realize even quicker how selfish you are <laughs> no doubt <laughs> and then the third is your ministry you know where you're mm -hmm. serving and loving and helping people and um not feeling very appreciated in the process and you know feeling like sometimes you're just not even making progress at all with with folks and feeling like that man this is just this is tough are we going anywhere is, is this and every once in a while it's like a golf shot you know if you're not good at golf you get like that one shot in a round that is straight down the fairway and it keeps you coming back the next time that's what ministry feels like a lot a lot of times it's like mm. man this is draining and exhausting and tough is there anything and then boom a miracle happens in front of you. Someone yep. receives Christ. Someone gets baptized. Someone takes the next step. They have a breakthrough, and you're like, "Yes," you know, and that keeps you coming out for more, so to speak. But you know, we're, we'll be yeah. praying for you guys because that's a huge transition you guys have stepped into. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of my favorite things is we had a reception after church last Sunday and um, people wrote little cards for us to read just to encourage us. And I think every single one of them, people just were committed to pray for us and to be there for us and were excited for us. And so that meant the world. That's awesome. Well, if you're listening, make sure that you pray for Charlie and Mel because... Mac um, Isaac. <laughs> Mac Isaac. I'm Mac so Isaac. Christy tells me that she, at least she used to call you or somebody used to call you Mackie Sack in college. And I know that you don't think that's the case. 
Because your face I, is telling me. If she called me, that, me Mackie Sack, I'd give her a slappity slap <laughs> because I wouldn't let that fly. <laughs> oh, hi, Christy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's great. I'm going to tell her that you said that. That's not true. I mean, that's bogus. That's bogus. Yeah, I think that's you're just, total, I think it's, total made up. I think you're covering something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, today we have an incredible interview. Um, in fact, it was so good that we couldn't do it in one part. We were like, no, let's do, let's do two parts because um, we have this girl that, again, she wrote in, told us her story. Um, she and her family, I don't want to like give her story away, but I will say that she and her family were listeners no spoilers. of the, yeah, exactly. She and her family were listeners of, po- of the podcast when they, um, uh, what, when they went through, um, a tragedy in their family. And so she writes her story in and it just touched us so much. We were like, Hey, will you come on the podcast? She goes, yeah, I'll, I definitely will. I would love to. And she, so she flew out to Indy and came and did this with us in person. I was like, wait a minute, what, you're hopping on a plane to come and hang out with us? Like, that is this so is fun. awesome. And it was yes. so amazing. Um, there, People don't realize this, I don't think, that, but we pray before every interview. We ask the Holy Spirit to be a part of the interviews. And there was a, um, I feel like a very, I felt a very thick, palpable presence of the Holy Spirit when we started praying. And we were all getting very emotional um, in this room, just just recognizing mm-hmm. the full circle of her story and our story, and how they intertwine, and what God's doing now through um, you know their tragedy and how they're turning it into triumph, and it's just a really cool thing. And, and guys, it honestly blesses the heck out of us when we um, hear your story. Like yeah, when we, absolutely. I mean, it just it touches us so much. Yes. I mean, Davey, I don't know about you, but I love when people write in and tell us their stories. Mm -hmm. If you have a story, if you're listening right now, just email us at hello at nothing is wasted. We want to hear these stories um, and how you've been impacted and how the Lord has worked in your life. Yeah. And while you're at it, go ahead and jump over to iTunes um, and rate and review the podcast. We would love for that. There are people who leave some of their stories on the reviews. It's so fun to read that. Um, that blesses us as well. And if you have any questions, you can also email us, uh, hello at nothingiswasted.com. We try to get to those questions and answer them the best that we possibly can. Uh, oh, and jump over to Instagram. Yes. Okay. Got to get on Insta and no, follow us at Nothing right. is Wasted Ministries. That's right. We got a lot of behind yes. the scenes stuff going on, giveaways. It's uh, it's truly great. It's really it's fun. It's so fun. And I, I, one thing that I love about it is that there will be little quotes or snippets mm-hmm. from the podcast and different things that may have meant something extra to you that you put on there. And so, yeah, it's so fun. You got to you gotta join us. It's so. re- really great. So our interview today is I, with, yeah, go for it, Mel. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I cannot wait to hear Molly. I want to, I'm I ready know. for this. I know. This interview Let's is with this. Molly Thorson. So you guys sit back and enjoy my interview with Molly. Molly, great to have you on the podcast. In person. Yes. It's so good to have you. Thank you. And I say in person because this is um, a unique thing, but we're hoping it will not be unique in the near future because you actually live where? In Washington, D.C. And you, how did you get here today? (laughs) By plane. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. You like flew in to come and hang out with us and we are honored by that. And I'm so glad because I love having you here in person. So thanks for being here. Thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you are, um, you're part of the Nothing is Wasted community. You've been a listener for some time. And um, we we heard your story. You reached out, just kind of shared your story with us. And we were like, man, we have got to have the rest of our listeners listen to this story because it's, um, it's 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 a very difficult one. But it's a very profound one, and God is is using you and your pain in a very um, impactful way. And so I'm I'm so excited about everybody hearing this. But why don't you start out? Tell us a little bit about where you are now. So uh, tell us a little bit about your 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 life, your family, what you do, and then we'll kind of dive back into your story. Yeah, of course. Um, like you mentioned earlier, I'm in Washington D.C. Uh, I am one of five kids, so big family. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and I do operations, chief operations officer at uh, the Little Burrows, which is a garden tool company Very that cool. my family and I started uh, in 2013. 
Um, in addition to that, I like to consider myself a full-time volunteer for A21 um, nice. and host the Walk for Freedom in Washington, D.C., uh, every year with A21. That's so cool. And for those of you guys who may not be familiar with A21, that is a ministry that um, Christine Kane uh, spearheads and leads, and it's a ministry to rescue. Um, is it specifically girls? I mean, it's, uh, but really uh, anybody out of out of the um, sex trafficking, um, yeah, human trafficking. Yeah, so it's any type of human trafficking, okay. which is labor trafficking, indentured ah, um, okay. servitude, uh, and sex trafficking is definitely a large portion right. portion of that. And uh, women do make up the large majority. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And so you're very, very busy, and you just kind of <laughs> glossed over it. You said it really lightly, but, but you know, you said, "Well, we're, I'm the CEO of this." company that like, but no, you like, you guys had an idea, patented an idea, and now you're in, I mean, you were just saying kind of off the cuff, like in Target and all this other stuff. Can you, yeah. come on, expound on that a little yeah. bit? Because that's <laughs> profound to me because I picture you like in front of the Shark Tank panel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely like a Shark Tank-esque uh, product. Know. Well, that yeah. it doesn't have, I mean, it has some to do with your story and in, in various ways, but tell me yes. a little bit about that, yeah. just as we're getting to know you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my dad, Bob, was running back and forth in the garden, picking up my mom's tools, and he got so fed up that he went to the garage and built a garden tray out of cardboard and duct tape. Um, and at the time I had just graduated college and he was busy. He was like, Molly, what do you, what do you think about this? And I was like, I think that's pretty cool. Um, so we just went into design and engineering and got, um, a manufacturer here in the, the States for made in the USA, nice. in Ohio. There you go. Midwest, <laughs> yeah. Mid Midwest manufacturing. You can't beat that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, we love Ohio and, um, so since then, we, we just produced it, and we've been in Sam's Clubs, Target, um, we're here in Menards, uh, Duluth Trading, Murdoch's, Ace True Value. Um, so we're, wow. uh, we were an Amazon bestseller, so we're... Uh, yeah, that we're in awesome. the garden world and we're loud and proud. So. That is awesome. Okay, so <laughs> like, I'm just so curious because like the whole business, small business to like, you know, than larger scale business, the way you guys are like scaling, it just fascinates me. How many people work for your company? Like how how much workforce does it take to do all that? Or like, what does that look like? This it looks like myself. It's just one, yeah. Seriously, so you guys yeah. like outsource everything, distribution, all of that. We do. Wow. My dad and I. So efficient. Um, yeah, we, we do. And you know, we saw the Times article and Kylie Jenner was on the front yeah. running a billion dollar company and she has eight employees. And my dad said, if Kylie Jenner can be a billionaire with eight employees, we can do this with two. So That's, amazing. Like, okay, so, That's amazing. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys have a very um, close family, tight-knit family working together. And I know your family has experienced um, some, some hardship and some pain. And um, I would like for you to kind of take us back on that journey. Yeah, and, um, and share with us a yeah, little bit. Absolutely, um, and we are an extremely, um, extremely close family. We started this company together. In addition to that, um, we have another family business, mm. um, a construction company out of DC, Thorson Construction, that all my brothers work with. Um, but yeah, in 2016. Um, we experienced the death of my sister, Rebecca, mm. um, very unexpectedly. Uh, she had a headache and went to the hospital and then um, ended up passing away from mm. uh, complications of a brain tumor, which it turned out to be, um, that gave wow. her an aneurysm. So we, uh, we definitely have experienced some heartbreak. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, and you guys didn't, I mean, you didn't know about the brain t tumor prior to this. This was like a sudden thing. I mean, very yeah, surprised. We, we were made aware that um, she had some complications, but they said it was nothing to worry about. Um, so it was, it was completely unexpected. Wow. Um, and it was devastating, yeah. uh, just in every, every form of the word. So, mm, yeah. Gosh. I mean... Um, Losing anybody close to you like that is, it turns your world upside down. Um, and I know that there are several people who they can really resonate with you right now because 
they're listening and they're saying, I have also lost a sibling. There's a unique, there's a unique nature to losing a sibling. Um, but I want you to, if you can, just describe to us a little bit about immediately after that, what was, where were you guys at? You know, what was going through your minds and your hearts and, um, See if you can kind of uncover that for us. I mean, I guess the whole process of grieving and um, recovering started the day she went to the hospital. Mm. Um, The day she went to the hospital, we, and had the aneurysm, we ended up spending two weeks in the hospital after that um, by her side while she was on life support. So we, we kind of just... I mean, absolutely prayed and turned to God in every sense of the word. Yeah. Um, and we trusted him on what was going to happen. Anything that happened, we knew that um, that we would come out of this learning mm. something that we didn't know before. Mm. Um, and that's kind of been our grieving process mm. as well as turning our pain and our heartache into something that other people couldn't relate to and that it can help with other people. Um, We don't want anyone else to feel the pain that we went Mm. through, but we want to be able to help alleviate that pain for people. So that's, that's kind of been um, our recovery process is just turning this pain um, into something bigger and ultimately honoring the legacy of my sister. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, the Bible says that we are comforted to in turn comfort other people, you know, and uh, you wrestle with that sometimes because you're like, wait a minute. Like, is that, I mean, sometimes it can, it can feel like that's, is that why this happened? Yeah. Like, is it, come on, God, like in your really dark moments, you're going, come on, God, is that, that's why this happened? Because you want me to comfort other people? You want me to help other people? You want me to I don't know if I like that swap. I don't know if I like that trade. You yeah. know, you can definitely have some of those questions, but I think if you look at it from the perspective of like, um, maybe we don't know the reason why completely, there can still be meaning out of it in the sense that we can help other people through it. Yeah. And um, in a second, we're going to talk about some of the ways that you guys have jumped into helping other yeah. people through it. But I want you to, I want you to tell us a little bit about because um, you and your sister were really close. Yes. Um, yeah. We were talking a little bit about that before we jumped on air, but tell us a little about your relationship. Yeah, I, it'd be a pleasure to. Mm. Um, my sister, Becca, Rebecca, um, was four years older than me, um, and we were attached at the hip. <laughs> uh, we had three older brothers, um, so everything was kind of girls versus boys. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had an immediate alliance since birth. Um, I always told my mom I think I was born to be her best friend. <laughs> so uh, she needed an ally and a team of boys. Yep, yep. Um, but we, we really grew up as a very close-knit family, still are mm. a very close-knit fa- family. And um, my mom just made sure we did everything together. Mm. And um, at the time, it was always so annoying. But I (laughs) thank God every day that she put us together, even in matching clothes. Um, But I guess as we just grew up, we didn't even want to hang out with other people. We just hung out with Mm. each other so much um, to the point where we all five went to the same exact college. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. Where did you guys go? We went to Randolph-Macon College. Okay. Um, it's outside of Richmond in Virginia. Gotcha. Um, and no one wanted to be apart from one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as we grew into adulthood, it was less by um, force and more by habit of mm. hanging out with each other and just general um, wants. So my sister and I um, just went all around the world together. Mm. <laughs> we... we um, once we graduated from college, yeah. we did things like we'd rent out our homes on Airbnb and I'd stay at her place and then we'd use that money to go travel. Wow. Um, and so we basically were like roommates. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to to try and put it into words about how close we are right. is always really difficult because um, it's something when you live it, yeah. it's hard to kind of 
retell it because right. no one else can be there when you have those magic moments and no one else can right. be at the Bruce Springsteen concert singing at the top of the lungs <laughs> next to you. Um, but um, we definitely were um, very close and yeah, we just um, loved each other. Mm. And she was such a example of a godly woman, a fearless woman, mm. a businesswoman, and a generous woman. And to me, she was everything I wanted to be. Wow. What, um, you know, it's, it's rare to find siblings that are that close. Um, you guys had five siblings, <laughs> right? And if, I think one of the things I've realized in, in loss is that you look at other people who have maybe what you've lost or, you know, uh, they, they, they have it, but they don't realize they have it. You know, it's like, uh, and they take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, and you go, man, if you only knew like how much it, it hurts to lose what you're taking for granted, you would operate differently. What maybe if you could, if you could just kind of enlighten us, what, what were some of the, let's say you're sitting across from somebody and you're counseling them how to have a really flourishing relationship with their siblings. What are some of those like keys? I don't mean to, I don't want to turn this into no, like yeah. a, what's some tips and tricks for no, that? You know, that, not no, by any means, but yeah. it's like out of this heart of like, man, you don't like, you don't know what you have. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've got people in your life who are blood relation that, mm -hmm. That you know, like, what, what would you tell us? Like, how to how to cultivate those relationships with our siblings really well? I mean, I would um, forgive every little thing. Mm. Um, forgiveness is the to me. I think the key to happiness in life. There's and that's biblical. And right, there's right. there's really no way around not getting over something and not forgiving someone yeah. and cultivating a relationship that is like a good one. Yeah. You have to forgive. That's so um, good. And you have to, you can't pick apart things. I'm mm. sure like, I'm sure my brothers <laughs> will tell you that I, um, I can be like, why are you doing that? Or even my brothers, I'm like, chew with your mouth closed. Like just, <laughs> you can't, you can't pick apart things and you have to, um, you have to just love them unencumberedly. Yeah. So. It's like offering grace yes, in those absolutely. spaces that maybe perturb you or yes. frustrate you. You're like, you are driving me crazy with that yeah. little tick or that little habit that you do all the time. Yes. And it's learning to go, well, it's not their issue. It's my issue that I'm, so I'm going to operate in grace. Yeah. You know, I'm the one getting annoyed by that. Yes. Why, why am I getting, I don't need to be getting annoyed yeah. by that, you know? Yeah. Um, and find it endearing and uh, kind of turn it yes. around and just say, you know, that's a neat, that's a neat little habit or that's yeah. specific to you and that makes it special. Wow. That's so good. That's, a, that's actually a great, I think, key to any good relationship, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's like a, a really deep friendship or, um, or a sibling relationship or a marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, like in marriage, everything is seen through rose-colored glasses until you like get married. And then everything is like, whoa, wait, what? Hold on a second. I didn't know this, you know? And then you have to learn to go, wait, those little things are actually very endearing, yes. you know? And to the degree that you can learn to do that, and I think you're right. I think that um, flushing out bitterness and forgiveness and, you know, saying you're sorry a lot and all of that, like learning to be able to, coexist yeah. in any of those relationships really well. Yeah. Um, and and just having each other's back at the end yeah. of the day to um like true love is is having someone's back and yeah. just being there and supporting them and picking them up when they're down and right. um just being a team. Right. That's so good. That's so good. You know, one of the things we experienced um when we lost um Amanda, my late wife, uh is kind of this like unbalance uh in the family. You know, one seat is now empty and it's not just that while wow, we're sitting around the table and we notice that somebody's not here, but it was like everything felt out of balance. Like like the the equilibrium of the personalities had found this like con, con you know, this continence. It was like, okay, we, we we there's a homeostasis with this right now, and then all of a sudden, boom, totally out of balance. Had, did you guys experience that? And what has that been like for you? I know it's still pretty fresh. I mean, you're only yeah. two years, two and a half years 
What's that like for you guys right now as a family, as you're trying to pick up the pieces of this? I mean, um, it's definitely difficult um, to say that we don't feel that unbalance would be mm. a lie. I think that it's normal though to mm. feel that yeah. that unbalance. And I mean, for me specifically, um, it's a little bit different than my brothers. I I don't have another woman in the family to talk to yeah. um, or to go through anything with. I'm like, even something as simple as a breakup, I'd call my sister and I don't uh. have that. So, um, so not having that um, like alliance and mm. a best friend as well as a sister yeah. um, was difficult for me. And obviously um, it was really difficult too because we lost our CFO mm. of our company and we had to figure out right. immediately all these different things. And not only that, we had to all figure out how to go into the office and walk past that missing seat every day wow. and walk in and be able to focus on work and try and wow. run a business and grieve at the same time. And um, I'm just really proud of my brothers mm. and my dad specifically. He owns the company and... Um, to grieve the loss of your daughter and to be able to run a successful business mm. is um, is a really challenging um, situation. So, yeah, I, I'm proud of my family very, wow. very much so for um, being able to kind of work through that unbalance and yeah. being able to juggle that. And um, ultimately, we come out as a team who's honoring her and yeah. a lot that we do. Yeah. I want to I want to camp there for a little bit because I think this is the reality of most people who lose somebody. Um, you're you're not just facing the fact that like in your personal life there's this void and there's this loss and you're working through it. I think it'd be a lot easier to kind of practice more like Jewish customs when it comes to grief and to just say okay for this next time period whatever that assigned time period was based on the relationship that you had with that person. You don't do anything. You just yeah. grieve. You just spend time really digging deep in the grief. And I think that that Jewish timeline shows us something that God wove into the fabric of our universe to say, you need to spend time grieving. You need to spend time doing that deep work. But the reality for most of us is that you're back at the grind. Yeah. You're, you're having to pay the bills. You're having to, like you guys, continue this family business. I mean, this is mm -hmm. a family. If you guys don't step in, this business begins to falter and stumble and could and could, could yeah. fall. How did you guys do that? Like, if you look back on like, wait, how did we keep things together and at the same time, like, not, because there could have been major relational tension. There could have been a lot of toxicity. It could have been mm -hmm. a lot of, like, blame shifting unintentional, you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, what was that like for you guys? I mean, it took just so much prayer and so much patience and mm. so much... Um, discipline, um, like you said, there's there is a time after um, that you should be allowed to grieve, and if you're not given that time, um, it's really difficult to kind of micromanage grief yeah. and be able to put it in its compartment, yeah. turn it off, and then turn on business or turn on um, whatever that is that you're focusing on. So for us, I think just kind of covering for each other mm, was a big so deal. Um, like I know when um, my dad can't do something because mm. he's going through the grief that I might not be going through right now, but I know that in two months or like next tomorrow, right. like he'll have to cover for me. Right. And I think that um, being in the family business, that gave us a lot of, flexibility with our grieving mm. because you can see who's having the worst week mm -hmm. and who's not able to just perform right now. And we all were able to kind of step in where someone needed it and yeah. just be there for each other. Um, but it was very difficult. Mm. It was a very difficult, it still is a very difficult process um, we still get emails to right. our sister's oh, email man. address yeah. and we still have to 
deal with people calling and asking and having to explain that and rehashing this this trauma that we went through. Right. So, I mean, it's never ending, as I'm sure you know. It's just, uh, it's something you have to deal with every single day. And yeah. it's never right. not a part of anything you do right. after it happens. Yeah. Well, and when you think that you've kind of put it all to bed, there's a there's something that happens in life or a transition that you step into that maybe is the first time since, yeah. you know, that kind of idea. Like the first time since I lost this person mm-hmm. that reignites something and you have to reprocess and you have to rework through some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, they say it's going to be a lifelong journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people are telling me. Yeah. And um, And you never do get over it. But you can't come through it, um, and that's what I—that's yeah. what I hear. You know, yeah. that's what I'm kind of. You know, I feel like we're experiencing on some level, but yeah, it, and yeah. I mean, for us, um, every accomplishment is mm. is something new that we want to celebrate, and that oh, yeah. we want her to be there with us. And I think just even the process—it's not the old habits that she's not there for mm. that are the most difficult. It's the new ones that she'll never see. So wow. to us, any business accomplishment or anything, um, anything that we know she'd be just over the moon about yeah. is the hardest part of navigating this grief because yeah. we know what her reaction would be to our old habits and our old accomplishments, yeah. but you don't know the new ones. Wow. Um, I love what you said about covering each other. Like, I think that's more profound than maybe even you thought. But, <laughs> but I also think it's really helpful for people who maybe they've found themselves in a workplace environment where they have a, a coworker that lost somebody. And people ask us all the time, what what can we do if we know somebody that, you know, has has experienced some kind of a tragedy? I don't know what to do for them. And I think that's one very practical thing is cover for them. Like, yeah. Do whatever you can to help take away some of the pressure of life so they can really dig deep into that grief yeah. and, and give it what it needs in order for them to work through it. Um, that's, that's very, very profound. I, um, I'm curious, what, um, how much do you guys talk about her together as a family? Like I know some families who it's kind of like we don't talk about it very much, and then some families like we talk about it all the time. Like, curious yeah. about that for you guys? Yeah, all the time. Um, yeah. Talking about my sister brings me so much joy, mm. um, and it's therapeutic. It's um, all of our goals to make her legacy live on, and you can only do that by talking about it. It's painful. Right. It hurts, um, and most of the time, you'll end talking about it in tears, but I'd rather go through that pain and bring her name to light and her legacy to light than Mm. to be silent. Mm -hmm. I think in those moments where I can just, I can picture you guys in a moment where you just had a business breakthrough or something like really awesome happened and you're standing around with everybody and like you realize what, what you want to say is, man, Rebecca would have been so excited about this, you yeah. know, but even the thought of saying that gets this, like this rush of grief that kind of comes up and like, you're right, like tears. And so sometimes people just avoid that. Yeah. They go, okay, we're, they have the thought and then they're like, and they swallow it down. Yeah. And I feel like that there is so much danger to that. Yeah. And I feel like what you guys are doing is so healthy to even just go, Rebecca yeah. would be elated by this. And yes. like, Run toward that roar, yes. like we yeah. talk about, right? Run That's, toward the roar. Yeah, which is actually how I found out about you because wow. my um, sister was. Uh, that was not a planned segue, by the way. No, really, but I know that. <laughs> really good. Okay, yeah. yeah tell um, us about this. She was reading the Levi Lesko book, um, wow. and we're all big fans of Levi Lesko. Mm-hmm. And um, she was googling and came about um, your article about how it helped you. Oh wow! Um, and how the whole situation. Yep. Of lions hunting in the wild. Yeah. They'll have the women in the back and the lion will roar. Right. And most of the time the prey will run away from the roar right. and into the females. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's running towards that fear and running towards that roar. Yeah. Um, that ultimately leads to life. That's so good. Um, and she was reading your article, um, an article that you were mentioned in and your story. Um two weeks before she passed away. Oh, and wow. that's what 
um, was so striking about this this full circle moment here is wow. that um, yeah, she told me about you, and we we experienced the loss of our grandfather um, two weeks before she passed away, which is when we were heading to his funeral, and um, she was just talking about like emotional scarring and how um, like a lot of times it takes an emotional scar for people to come to this um, light in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I don't want to, I don't know why in the world she Googled that, but that stuck through my mind. And that has been one of the biggest coping mechanisms for me is running towards any fear, any grief, any pain and having this light of this life. So thank you for, for somehow, and obviously was God, but just for being there and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of unbelievable and it's very, um, neat. Yeah. (laughs) It's very neat. Well, there's (laughs) what you're saying is, uh, crazy because two weeks before my late wife passed away, I, um, came across Levi Lusco. So two wow. weeks, yeah, two weeks before I listened to a sermon that he preached at Elevation Church and I was so enthralled and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This guy's story and what he's doing to turn this pain around. And I remember taking a walk with Amanda like that night or the next night or something and trying to like re-preach the sermon to her. Yeah. I was like, you got to live so like this right here. And she was like, I just, it wasn't translating, right? Because like I wasn't quite... And so I went back and watched the sermon again. I was like, you just got to listen to it with me. And so we were on a, a train ride to Chicago, um, and we listened to that together, the sermon. And I put his book on reserve in the library, um, and it came available like three days after she passed away. And so that's what helped me, you know, initially really work through it. Then I handed out to every one of our family members. And I was like, you got to read this. You got to read this. And I think what I look, the way I like interpret that is that, um, and what I felt like the Lord was really pressing into my spirit through that is that he is in the details of all this stuff. That like he is preparing us, you know, he knows in his foreknowledge. Now we can get into all the theological stuff. We've talked about it before. I don't feel like we need to take the time to talk about it, that he doesn't, he doesn't cause evil to happen. In fact, death is not what his intention was for this world. It's not what he wanted. And we see that when in John 11, when he comes across Lazarus and he's like, he's weeping. He's like, this is not what I wanted for my kids, right? But it's sin and the brokenness of this world and fallenness of this world that is moving us toward this place of death. But Jesus' sacrifice allows us not to have to experience the second death, that we can experience life after death. And so, he, he doesn't cause this stuff to happen. He allows it, though, and in his foreknowledge, in his goodness to his kids, he, in some ways, if we're looking for it, if we're like posturing ourselves to listen to God, he prepares us for it. And we don't mm-hmm. know he's preparing us for it. Yeah. Until we look back and we go, God, you, you, were, you were preparing me this whole time. And you're in this. And it's like these little subtle whispers of God going, listen, I'm going to walk you through this. Like, it's like a dad who knows exactly, like, watches you, like, watches you as a kid running down. This is what we do with our kids all the time. We see them running down a hill, uh, like a concrete, you know, uh, running down the street and it's downhill. And we're like, oh, I can see what's going to happen here. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like they're about to, Weston's going to, you know, trip because he's super clumsy and he's going to fall and it's going to be, and we're like, okay, he's going to have to do that. Now, that metaphor kind of breaks down a little bit because you weren't running down like you know spiritually yeah. but he knows the pain you're about to experience and so in his sovereignty in his providence he like as a dad wraps his arms around you and goes okay I'm gonna prepare you for this yeah and I'm gonna walk you walk you through this this entire process yeah I, we definitely saw that like looking back in hindsight you look at all these different moments um wow. Like, for instance... Yeah, I was going to say, share some of those with us. My my sister was 29 when she passed away. And for her 30th birthday, we were going to do a massive, just two-week trip, um, just the two of us going Mm. everywhere we wanted to go and just getting this whole experience together. Right before her 29th birthday, she says, Molly, for some reason... I don't want to do anything my 30th. I want to do that trip right now for my wow. 29th. 
And I was like, this one, this is an elaborate 29th birthday. <laughs> You're like, this doesn't yeah, make any like, sense. <laughs> not sure if we like, you can't change your mind next yeah. year. But, and then almost two months later, she passes away and wow. I get to look at I, all these places I got to go with my sister and all these memories that we had and mm. all these photos that I look at and think about like every day. Wow. And I would have, ne- we would not have gotten that if she decided to go on her 30th. And for some reason, like God decided, I'm going to just give you this moment mm. and like give you guys this time together. And it's it's amazing. And wow. looking at all these different, like starting our company together and um, mm-hmm. like just so many different things. And I remember every morning um, she'd have um, a big stack of mm. note cards and she'd write her favorite Bible verses on them and her favorite quotes, and she'd go through them every morning, and she'd be late to everything because she was looking through them, and I'd always be like, yeah, just, like, just use your lunch or, like, just look online. You don't need to have, like, physical note cards. Mm. Um, But then when she passed away, that's what I look at every day. I look at these note cards, and even at our service, we scanned them and Mm. handed them out to every single person, and those note cards I see constantly popping up on people's social media saying like this verse got me through the day Wow! and like being able to spread like the verses that were so inspirational to her. Yeah. Um, and ultimately um, with my work with anti-trafficking, right. um, we were supposed to go to a 21's walk for freedom on yeah. the day that she went to the hospital with oh, a headache. Wow. We were signed up to walk, and um, one of her note cards had a little note, um, and it just said, don't be silent about the things that matter. Mm. And it said, A21. And um, it just was all this stuff leading up to, to her passing, and ultimately kind of like a guideline of, of what I think she would want me to mm. do after and kind of what she was such a godly woman mm. and mm. it was even that like even that as a younger sister mm. that inspiration to like I God could have put a non-godly big sister into my life and I right. could have in, had the same grief and I could have turned out a whole lot different Wow! and because she was so prepared in the word yeah. and because she was so prepared in her faith, um, it led to a completely different outlook for all of us wow. and a completely different inspiration for all of my siblings. So, I mean, looking at life prior to this, mm-hmm. it's uncanny mm-hmm. every little detail that prepared us for this moment. And you don't think about it and yeah. you don't put it all together. And, I, I don't want to know every detail. I don't need to know right. every in and out of every question. I don't want to ask God why, and I never do. Um, but him leaving these little Easter eggs, I'll call right. them, is... There is, it is, Easter yeah, eggs, is, that's right. ...is pretty remarkable. That's amazing. Um, I, I think that's so important as we, as we travel life in general when it comes to, like, the way we view our perspective on what comes to us because, and it all depends on like our God image, you know, it all depends on like, how do we view who God is? Like if we view him as a, you know, dictator or Zeus like figure or, you know, someone who uses us for his own gain or whatever, that's going to, that's going to distort the way that we see the things that come into our life. But we, if we view him as a, a, a good, loving, heavenly father that wants good things for his kids and that every good and perfect gift comes from above, then that means everything that is given to us is good from a loving father. And you can see these things as like um, a lot of people, what happens in their life is something like this, a tragedy will happen and they will turn down this road of bitterness and blame God for it and say, and even say things like, why have you taken this from me? And you've taken this from me. You've taken this from me. And, and theologically we could talk about like exactly what it, has he taken stuff? Well, I mean, Job said you give and take away. So there's definitely 
grounds for saying that he maybe takes things from us as well, or he like, you know, it, it's our time to pass away. And so he removes us from this world. But I think that if I'm, you know, if I'm from the perspective of a father, what I want my kids to see is the things I've given them. And for you guys to have the, the, the insight to look into that and go, wait a minute, look at all these good gifts, these like little breadcrumbs, <laughs> right? I, I call it in the, in the book, Nothing Is Wasted, I call it thumbprints, mm-hmm. right? Where you see God's thumbprints through the whole thing that's saying like, this is, this is me, okay, pay attention. I'm in this, Davey, like this is me. And um, it's just, those are gifts that God has given. And he, and he I, I just think there's a listener right now that they're in that mindset where they're going like, he's taking this from me, he's black, you know, they're in that, and, they're, and God's providentially put them in their car listeners right now. I need you to know, and Molly would like for you to yeah. know, these are gifts. Like, look at the gifts that God has given you to help navigate you through this. And he is a loving father that wants good things for you. Um, I also was just thinking about this as you were saying this, Molly, and um, and then I want to get to the next part because that's really exciting. What you uh, what you guys are doing uh, to turn this this trial into into a triumph. But in Hebrews chapter eleven, um, it talks about all these people who underwent some really uh, difficult things, right? And it's like the the hall of faith. I think this is actually um, yeah yeah yeah. So you were talking about your sister. And she died at a very young age. Mm-hmm. You know, same with Amanda. And I think there's more than just Rebecca and Amanda, but a lot of other folks who like, you look at me like, gosh, they had such like, like they were so godly. And, you know, there's the adage that like only the good die young, right? But I was reading something in Hebrews that really brought some peace to me about that idea. And it's like this, it's like this account of all the people who were persecuted right? Kind of the martyrs that, um, in the early church. And it says at the very end, as it lists it, it says that the world was not worthy of them. So it says like, um, this is in Hebrews 11 verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak. Um, actually that's Barack. I don't think it was Obama though, but Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Uh, women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then it says, it like totally turns and goes, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Uh, some jeer, some faces, some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. These are like God's people, the godliest of people, who like endured this kind of hardship. And it says the world was not worthy of them. And I had this, now I haven't fleshed this thought out very much, but like as you're sitting here talking, I'm going, the world the world was not worthy of Rebecca. Right? Like, Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Her presence, and that doesn't help us w- with the loss, mm-hmm. but it helped me to go, wait, this world is not our home. Yeah. And, and this is not where we're staying. Mm-hmm. And she and Amanda and all of our loved ones who have gone before us, especially those who, who have died young, they're like rejoicing in this other world that is to come that is way better than this world. Yeah. I, I have always thought of um, Becca's passing being mercy to her. <sighs> and wow. it, I don't know what pain could have happened to her when she was here on this earth. And she is now someplace that she'll never have a pain again. Yeah, right. And that, that's what God does is God is merciful. Yeah. And I know that, Everything that's happened with my sister, I know that he extended her that same mercy. Wow. Um, and I, I don't know why. I don't want, and I don't like, I don't question that. But I know that one, he blessed me mm-hmm. by putting a sister on this earth, even if it was for 29, it never would have been enough years for me. I never would have been happy to have her for just 107 years. Man. It never would have been enough for me. So true. But it doesn't. It, God 
knew what I needed right. in my life and what my siblings needed and what a lot of people needed. Right. And I'm just thankful that she was here to begin with. Mm. And I, I can't be greedy and ask for someone I love to stay on this earth forever. Yeah. And I am just thankful that he extended mercy to her in some way, shape or form by putting her in this. Well, I don't, like you said, I don't know exactly right. how that works, but she's, I do know that she is in heaven now mm. where she will have no pain. And that's a mercy that I'm, we recognize and that kind of helps us grieve. Wow. And that's, gets a, that's an unbelievable perspective. And what you just said, like this was, this was somehow God's mercy for her. Like my mind is, I, I'm like, wow, you know, like it blows my mind. And I read this, I'm like, they would, on where they are, and like they would say, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah. Right? Like the Bible says the world was not worthy of them. And they would say, and it was worth it. Yeah. Going through what I did was worth it to gain the resurrection, to like share in the resurrection of Christ. It was worth it. You know, scripture says we are not able to share in the resurrection unless we share in the sufferings of Christ. And we'll never have to say goodbye again to Amanda or to Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Like the only things we're saying to them now is is hello when we see them again. So to me, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm I'm not treating this as as I never get to see my sister again. It's Mm. it's I can't wait to see my sister Mm. again. That's so, so good. So you guys are doing some some things to like find purpose in this. I'm so inspired by this. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the ways that you're turning us around into triumph. Yeah. Well, um, originally, like I said, um, Becca had gone into the hospital the day we were supposed to walk uh, with A21. They yeah. hold an annual walk every year called the Walk for Freedom. Um, and I got this... Uh, after she passed away, I, I kind of shut off my phone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I A lot of people were telling me how I should feel and, oh, mm. you're going to be so mad at God. Like, you'll get through it, though. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be mad mm. at God. Like, leave me alone. So I just turned off my phone and I wasn't responding to anything. And then I get this email um, that... I didn't think was a generic email. I thought it was like, you know, not a mass email from Christine Kane. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I had this, (laughs) I had this email from Christine Kane. I should respond. And it was like, we're looking for a a host for the DC Walk for Freedom this year. And I was like, wow. Christine reached out to me. Yeah, like me. (laughs) And so I was like, this is unbelievable. If I could host this walk in DC um, and do this, for my sister and in honor of my sister, I mean, I would just explode with happiness. So um, I called A21 and um, responded to the like info at A21, not the Christine Kane email. And um, I interviewed with them to try and be the host. Mm. There were like five other people who were in the top running and it basically just got down to me begging them and saying, please, like, and um, I'm so happy they let me do it. And they said, we'll let um, you guys host the Block for Freedom 2017 in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, and we did. And we kind of just said, since this is going to be for our sister, we're going to put all of our heart and energy yeah. into this. Um, and we were the top fundraising city out of all the 400 cities that walked for freedom that day. Wow. Um, and after that, um, they looked into having an office in DC, uh, which they currently do. And Mm -hmm. we had the 2018 walk for freedom, uh, which raised over $75,000 and once again was the largest fundraising city. Um, but it's just grown so much, not even because of the walk we have, we're involved in um, legislation in DC and we're working in um, airports across the world, trying to get anti-trafficking public awareness campaigns. And um, it really has tumbleweeded into this just massive, um, I don't know exactly what to call it. It, It's almost like um, 
it's just a huge blessing. Mm. It's just a huge blessing, not only to um, to my family because it was therapeutic and it helps yeah. us, but uh, it's helping. Like it yeah, really is right. helping so many people across the world. And um, wow. it's just been a really big honor to be a be a part of it in a small way. Wow. There's, there's so many people who are trying to figure out how to find meaning in what they've walked through and, and find purpose in their pain. And it, so often you get stuck doing it. You know, I've, I talked to countless of people who are like, I just don't know how to find purpose in it. And, um, you know, we personally, we feel blessed because we have seen a tremendous amount of impact coming out of our story. And a lot of people, sadly, um, and it's not their fault, they just... There's, there's fruit on this side of eternity, there's fruit on the other side of eternity that we're not going to see. And some people aren't able to see their, the, the legacy lived out in front of them. And, um, and I would just say, if that's, if that's you right now, don't, don't be discouraged because um, when, when you step into eternity, you're, you're, the, the veil in front of your eyes will be peeled back and you will see the impact um, and the purpose behind your pain. But I do believe that there is a um, an element which that, like what you said, it is healing and cathartic to find that purpose right now. How would you tell somebody to go about doing that? I'm putting you on the spot. Of course, all my <laughs> yeah. questions have been putting you on the spot. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> what you yeah. guys don't know as you're listening to this is like we just go, okay, let's wing it. Let's just figure <laughs> out as we go. So, poor Molly. But like you know, as you're thinking back on their thought process of going, hey, how do you discover? What was kind of like your journey there of discovering, hey, this is going to bring purpose to us and this is going to be healing for us to do this in honor of Rebecca, you know? Yeah. I mean, the day um, my sister passed away, I received a note, like a blank notebook from my cousin. And she's like, you need to write everything down. Mm. Um, And I didn't really feel the need to write everything down. But on that day specifically, I just wrote... Um, kind of just like I surrender. Mm. I'm I'm not gonna live for me anymore, um, and I am going to every day pray that God just opened the door that I'm supposed to walk through. And mm. that's been my prayer every day since. And honestly, that's kind of how this has even happened. Is wow. I said, just show me the door, and I'll walk through it. Wow. And that sometimes involves a lot of blood, sweat, and tears mm. and like whatever that task is, mm-hmm. but just show me the door. I'll go through it. Wow. Close the doors I'm not supposed to, and I won't bang on that door, and I won't say, I want to go through that door. I will not go through that door and just open the ones. And um, it's wow. been difficult because sometimes you want to do things yeah. and you are just like, that's not happening. Mm. And... I'm not supposed to go back. Um, And um, so that's kind of been the way that I've been able to navigate this is just praying that the doors are open and that I just have the power to walk through them. Wow. Gosh, that's incredible. Well, we are going to end up um, having a part two of this interview because we got a lot more we want to talk to you about specifically surrounding human trafficking and some of the experiences you guys are having with that. It's a topic we've not talked about, but I'm really excited about talking about it. But before we sign off of this part of this, um, this interview, uh, is there, I'm curious, just, is there anything that you would tell somebody who maybe is struggling right now with the loss of a family member or, or specifically a sibling? You know, if you're sitting across from them with a cup of coffee and they've come to you and they're like, Molly, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to how to walk through this. What would you what would you tell them? Um, I would I would guard your heart. Mm-hmm. I would just guard what you're letting into your ears and what you're listening to, and make sure that it's it's there to help you. Mm-hmm. And just be aware of the world that you're in, and look at the things that you know will help you through like the word and listen to people like you who Mm. will help you get through a really tough situation. And, um, the more encouragement from, from what you surround yourself with, um, the easier it is to get through these. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. Um, just a profound story. I'm really, really touched by, um, your family and how you guys have walked through it. And um, 
It's very, very inspiring. There's a lot of families out there that walk through stuff like this and it, it really does a lot of damage to the families. I'm proud of you guys for how you guys are um, covering each other. Thanks. Thank giving you. each other grace and walking through this in a really profound way. God's going to do some big things over the next couple of years through what you're doing. It's awesome. So thanks, for much, thanks so much for joining me. And if you guys will stick around because we're going to do a part two, it's going to be awesome. So make sure you guys check out part two of this interview with Molly. Man, I'm so grateful that she flew out to come and do that with us. That was so nice of her. That's amazing. Amazing. She, I feel like, I feel like she majorly, I mean, I, I always, I always, I feel like my wife does the same thing, like downplays just her significance. But I just, I was so fascinated by the stuff that she's involved in, the work that she's doing for the kingdom, this family business that she, what they've gone through, how they've, I'm like, and she just had this meek, humble spirit about her. So humble. I know. I'm like, girl, you know, you are a rock star. Like, (laughs) Yes. Like downplaying that she's the chief operator of this amazing company. I know. It's so great. So Molly, thank you so much. In fact... This has been so good. We're doing a part two of this episode. We're releasing it. Well, you're not going to have to wait until next Thursday, which, by the way, blows my mind. We're weekly, every week, every Thursday, a new episode coming out. But so good. N- this week, you don't even have to wait till next Thursday before you catch the bonus episode of our part two interview with Molly Thorson. It yeah. is awesome. We tackle a topic that we have not tackled on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast yet, where we talk about human trafficking. And we mm-hmm. have a really, really special and beautiful and gorgeous and amazing guest on that interview. <laughs> I wonder who it could be. <laughs> We're going to leave you hanging with that one. <laughs> yes. Well, and we just want to thank Ryan O'Neill, who um, just provides the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Uh, you can find him over at Sleeping At Last. Thank you. And here's a little sneak peek of our bonus episode with Molly. Any city fights to get the Super Bowl in their city right. because they know how much Major tourism it brings in. Yeah, for sure. And with that, you also get kind of the black market tourism yeah. as right. well, which is gambling. Um, and unfortunately, um, prostitution is yeah. is a major part of that. And for the majority of these situations, a lot of that is human trafficking. Mm. So um, tackling the Super Bowl. <laughs> Oh, I see what you did there. Come on. I see what you did there. It is a really um, important step into kind of eliminating this tourism of human trafficking. And and they they really do go hand in hand. And um, so it's a penalty. The campaign was um, run in the airplanes on the way to Atlanta this year. So if you were taking... um, American Airlines, um, Virgin, pretty much all the major mm-hmm. airlines were showcasing this video beforehand. And you also saw it all around. Um, one thing we did, though, um, we A21 did, <laughs> is uh, they targeted the local hotels um, yeah. and they assisted in training all of the employees at the hotels Within the first day of Thursday that they trained, they have rescued four children just by handing out the missing children's list to local employees. And the employees of the hotels recognized the missing faces from the papers and they were able to rescue four children right, right there.